Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we step into, uh, or if we have, as we have been in the throne room in worship and song, Lord, we pray that we will continue to be teachable this morning, kneeling at your feet and uh, learning what truth is. And um, as you shed light on yourself and on us, that we walk in truth and respond appropriately. Lord, I look forward to the next few minutes that we um, learn more about God the Spirit, that we understand who the Spirit is and what uh, the Spirit does and doesn't do or may not do. Uh, Lord, I just pray that it be charitable and graceful and uh, true and loving all at the same time. Lord, also while we gather this morning, we want to pray for Micah Kano. We just uh, pray that you will just bless him right now on the other side of the world, that he is uh, enjoying you and um, that he is serving out of worship and wonder that he is amazed by your grace, that the gospel is overwhelming him in a, in a way that just spills over on to the kids that he's ministering to and the people on the team that he's serving with. Pray, too, for a sweet time with his granddad as they serve abroad, that they, are, um, that they grow closer together and grow closer to you while they enjoy each other. Lord, also this morning, we want to pray for our local church. We want to pray for Highland Terrace Baptist Church and pray for their new pastor. I pray for Bobby and Marie Atkins. Lord, I pray first for uh, Bobby and Marie's marriage. I pray that they are enjoying each other. I pray that uh, Bobby is feasting on the Word and that his primary ministry is to his wife. And uh, if they have kids and uh, he is ministering to them as well, that they are not sacrificed on the altar of ministry, uh, that he is able to sort out and prioritize what you want him to do and not what every single individual person in his church wants him to do. I pray that he is honoring your design and walking in truth, preaching it, teaching it, living it. And, um, Lord, I pray that Highland Terrace will be blessed uh, in this new leadership um, position, Lord. We, uh, we pray, too, that you'll guard our hearts from having a spirit of competition with a fellow church, that uh, we can cheer for each other and want great things for each other because your name is at stake. I pray that you'll guard our hearts from that secret sin of celebrating when others struggle and that we can truly hurt with those who, hurt, who are hurting, celebrate with those who are growing, and beg for uh, your namesake, really, um, to be enjoyed and glorified in this community through all Christian churches. And we turn this time over to you. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Before we climb into John 14, you can go ahead and... No, you can turn there if you want. If you have like a... Ladies, you have your doily or something you want to stick in there, and frilly lace thing that, or if you have that cool bookmark that your kindergartner made for you that is beautiful to you only, stick that in there. Before we really climb into John 14, though, I want to establish something. This morning, I'm preaching about the Holy Spirit. And I want to establish before we climb into this that the Holy Spirit is God. We kind of stop down every chance we get to consider the godness of Jesus. So I want to do the, just do that with the Holy Spirit, consider the godness of the Holy Spirit. So before we really climb into John 14, I want to take you on a little journey. And if you're quick, you can turn there with me. Um, I'm not going to wait on you for this preliminary introduction part to find the passage, but... Um, if you're quick, you can find it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth, earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. I want to establish right off the bat that the Holy Spirit was there in the beginning. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 are two of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Chapter 4 is a throne room vision of the Father, and chapter 5 is the vision of the Lamb. And right here in this context where we're looking at God, really, it's this God-centered couple of chapters, beginning chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four elders, and seated on the throne were twenty-four, excuse me, were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne, watch, were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Numerology is some dangerous stuff. I just want to tell you that right now. I don't get into numerology, people that kind of do weird stuff with numbers in the Bible. But one number that you can trust means something. When John writes it, whether it's in the book of John, presenting seven signs... For the purpose of showing Christ as God, or whether it's in book of Revelation, seven things that show the fullness of something, you can trust that when you see seven of something in the book of Revelation, it's pointing to a fullness of something. Seven years of tribulation, it's going to be on for seven years. It's going to be some serious tribulation. So right here we're seeing seven torches around the throne Seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, there's no other picture where multiple spirits of God. Now, while our ESV, if that's what you have, has a lowercase s for spirit, a good translation or a good handling of this passage will put an uppercase s. This is speaking of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is in the throne room. What I want to establish right up front is that the Holy Spirit is there in the beginning and the Holy Spirit is there in the end. And the fullness of Him is in both places, and he seems to serve in sort of a supporting role. We need to be okay with that, that he seems to hover above the waters, and he's lighting up the throne room. He seems to serve sort of a supporting role in these contexts, but he's no less God. I'll show you one other passage, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? There he is, watch him. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your hearts? You not lied to men, but to who? To God. The Holy Spirit is complete, full, thorough, absolute godness. 
He's not in some subordinate um, angelic role. He is God, the Holy Spirit. So what we're going to do this week and the next couple of weeks is we're going to consider what this Holy Spirit does. We're going to understand, hopefully, who he is more and what he does and the role that he plays and how he's involved in our lives. So here we are in John chapter 14. Now you can turn there. John chapter 14, verse 16. I'll go ahead and read 15 for the sake of context. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. One of the things I want to consider before we really climb into this is that here we are in a troubling time in the life of these disciples. It's 11 of them at this point. Judas has already left the uh, table or the supper environment. Here we are in a very troubling environment. These guys are starting to figure out that everything that they've cast their lot with for the last three years is about to be lost, or so it seems. Jesus has told them, I'm about to go to a place that you can't go. He's preparing them for his bloody departure. He's readying them for that, and, in, and all the while, he's readying himself to go to the cross. And you know it's a heavy weight because he's praying later that night, take this cup from me. But here he is sitting with his cre- creatures. God the Son is sitting with his creatures, and he's ministering to them with a promise of help, a promise of truth, and a promise of presence in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He's ministering to their troubled hearts with good news. He's saying, you know, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you orphans. See, I've asked God the Father to send God the Spirit to be with you, and it's going to be okay. This is good news message. And then just as Jesus prayed and just as he promised, seven weeks later, the Holy Spirit shows up. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Pretty awesome passage. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled, see, filled. The Holy Spirit dwelled with them before that point, but this is the day that he moves in. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished saying are not all those who who are speaking Galileans how is it that we are that, that we hear each of us in our own native language Parthians, Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. 
And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, saying, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. This chicken of the Passover seven weeks there earlier is now the preacher of Pentecost. Lifting up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's early for that to happen. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. You're seeing prophecy fulfilled today, people. And here's how it goes. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then the former chicken of Passover preaches the message of Pentecost. It goes verses 22 through 36, and I'm going to pick up in verse 37. Now, when they heard this message, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children... And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Jesus sat with his disciples on the night before he's crucified. The morning, the next morning he's crucified, that day. And he promised them, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I've asked the Father to send you someone. And he's going to come to you. And when he shows up, here's what happens. There's a sound like a mighty rushing wind that fills the house. There's divided tongues of fire appearing and resting on each of them. They're speaking in languages. I mean, there's just one mouth. So they're they're speaking likely in their native tongue. Yet it's being heard through the work of the Holy Spirit. In many different languages. There's people all over the Roman Empire that came to Jerusalem this time of year. And they're all hearing it in their native tongue. And as they preached, 3,000 repented and believed and were baptized. God the Spirit showed up. And he took his dwelling place in the heart of man just as he said he promised he would in verse 17 of chapter 14. God the Son prayed that God the Father would send God the Spirit who had been dwelling with them to take up residence in them. And he got what he prayed for. And to this day, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us if we are his. So what does he do as he dwells among us and in us? We're going to look at three things this week and the next couple of weeks The first thing we're going to look at today from this passage we've read in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, is first in verse 16. 
is that the Spirit helps us. I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. The word in the original language for helper is the Greek word paraclete. I bet most of you, if you've been around church any period of time, you heard somebody preach on the Holy Spirit, they've preached and used that word. So you've heard that word before, likely, paraclete. It means an advocate or a counselor. It could also mean a friend, but especially a legal friend. To kind of put it in an, in an image that you can get and imagine. Imagine if you had a friend that was a lawyer. Or imagine that if you worked for a law firm and you got your behind in trouble. And those friend, that friend that you had as a lawyer or that firm came alongside you knowing you and they advised you and they represented you in court. That's a great image of this paraclete. The King James presents it as the comforter. That's what I used to hear growing up. That's a horrible translation. Don't throw your King James versions away because they're useful. But I'll tell you, that, that's a traditional translation that has, pays no obedience to the original language. He's not our comforter sitting around. That would be the guy in the courtroom that's sitting behind the bench and sitting behind the dock just saying, oh, wiping your tears. I hope it's going to be okay. I'm here for you. We want somebody that's sitting next to us who can mediate for us. That's the difference between a comforter and a real helper. This is like a friend standing up for you in court, advising you and pleading your case. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, but it's hard to talk about the Holy Spirit without talking about Jesus. We're going to talk about Christ for a second. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It's on page 1021 of your ESV or your pew Bible. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, written by the same guy. Interesting. It's the only other place in our Bibles, apart from the book of John, where paraclete is used. And it's used referring to Jesus. Listen to this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have, present tense, an advocate. That's a translation of the same word over here in John chapter 14 that says helper. In this context, it's a legal environment. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This term here is used of Christ What I want you to see before we move into the rest of this message and look at the Holy Spirit is I want you to appreciate that Jesus is the first paraclete. Oftentimes, for shorthand, we refer to the Holy Spirit as the paraclete. What you need to realize is the first paraclete was Jesus. He said, I've asked the Father for another paraclete. And I'm going to actually help you with that translation here in a moment. And here, John, the same guy that wrote that book, probably years before he's writing this letter, refers to Jesus as the paraclete. What I want you to understand is that Jesus is the first helper slash paraclete and is a present helper slash advocate. In the heavenly court, he is our friend declaring our innocence by his own work. Is that good? Is anybody motivated by that? Does anybody need that? Anybody else but me? He's pleading our case Currently, yes, we have a current live-in paraclete, but we also have a heavenly paraclete who is pleading our case before the Father as we speak. 
The beauty is you're going to see this modeled a few chapters later in chapter 17 where he's begging, he's praying on our behalf. He's praying not only for his disciples, but he's praying for his disciples in the future, us. And he's begging the Father for some things. Father, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one. I pray that they'll dwell in each other as you and I dwell in each other. He's begging for us as a great advocate, a great paraclete. But I want to take an emphasis or a focus now on the Holy Spirit and the role as the helper. The reason I wanted to establish this picture of Christ as the first paraclete is because I want you to see the connection to to the second paraclete. Back in John chapter 14, you can turn back there because we're going to be there next. Let's go ahead and go back there. Just so you got it and have it in front of you. Go back to your doily. A great translation of this passage that is really hard to appreciate here. In this passage, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This word for another actually is more than just let me give you an additional helper. That word for another actually points to more uh, along the lines of let me give you a similar helper or an identical helper. Let me give you, it's actually somewhere between similar and identical. I just couldn't think of a word that fit there. Not just an additional helper, but let me give you a helper like Christ. I'm asking the Father because I'm about to go to his right hand, but I want to have another helper here that will help you the way I've helped you for the last three years. He's asking the Father for a helper of the same kind, not just an additional one but a similar one, nearly identical one. Specifically, he's asking the Father for a helper like Christ has been for the last three years to these 11 dudes. Now, I want to show you how he's done that because this is going to so connect. Christ helped by teaching all the time. That's what he did. He was the alpha teacher. He taught in Judea, Samaria, Galilee, He taught on the road to Emmaus. He taught on the road to Bethany. He taught by a well in Samaria. He taught by the Sea of Galilee. He taught on the Sea of Galilee. He taught on the shore in Capernaum. He taught in a boat. He taught in a temple. He taught in a garden. He taught by a fig tree. He taught under the stars. Everywhere he went, he taught. And look here on this page, John 14, 26. But the Helper, this Holy Spirit that we're speaking of today, this Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The connection I want you to see, this is so important, is this paraclete that He asked for, that the Father sent, is a paraclete of the same kind. As the Son taught, the Holy Spirit teaches The Holy Spirit teaches us, bring to remembrance all that he said. And you've got to know that that is good help. The Holy Spirit is the one who guided these men to record what they had heard. He's the same Holy Spirit that helps me expose the word week by week, that helps you engage the word week by week, that helps that word migrate from ear to heart to hand to mouth. It's the same Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit works through the gifts given to the church, the evangelist, the teacher, the preacher, the shepherd, through our daily and weekly time in the Word, 
With him, he teaches us and brings to remembrance what has been said about Christ. He helps us hear it, and he helps us process it and understand what we've heard. It's appropriate that he's called the spirit of truth. He's a helper just like Christ, because that's what Christ did everywhere they went. He taught, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. He teaches. Christ also helped by explaining the Father. You can stay in John 15, actually. Just look over there on the, maybe the next page. I'm going to read a passage to you from John chapter 1 while you're looking over there in 15. This was such an important passage to us a few weeks ago. John chapter 1 verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, that's being Christ. He has made him known. I pointed out a couple months ago when we engaged this passage that if Christ did not explain and reveal and exegete the Father, then we would have no rest of the book of John. They'd just be blank pages. It'd be bad news. It wouldn't be the good news. It'd be bad news that this still are this unseeable, unknowable God that we can't even see without being consumed by His glory is now seeable in the Son. The Son explains Him. The Son exegetes him. And now let me show you something about the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, verse 26. When the helper comes, this same one that Jesus has been talking about, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Here's the beauty that I want you to see here. As the Son exegetes the Father, as the Son explains The Father, the Holy Spirit, exegetes and explains the Son. Man, what a beautiful picture of perichoresis. Remember this blur? This beautiful dance? Well, who's responsible for what? I'm not sure. It's just a beautiful blur where they're supporting each other, where they're releasing and they're dancing and they're moving. And it's awesome to watch. As the Son exegetes the Father, the Spirit bears witness to and exegetes and explains the Son. Sounds like perichoresis. This new helper, this Holy Spirit, does what Jesus did. Jesus taught and Jesus explained. And the Holy Spirit teaches and he explains. That's how he's the helper. Now let me tell you right now, if you've hung in here this far, you're thinking, man, ooh, it's kind of stretching my brain. I, you know, I'm... I'm not sure this is going to find purchase in Tuesday or not. I promise you it will. So if you've hung in there that long, you're in good shape. The Holy Spirit is so misunderstood. I come in contact with people often who have questions about the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our worship services or may not play in our worship services. I come in contact with believers, I trust believers, looking for what could be called the charismata, the sign gifts, tongues, dramatic healings, word of knowledge, people being slain in the spirit, uh, overt emotional showings during worship. These are often associated with the Holy Spirit. If y'all have been around the faith any period of time, you know what I'm talking about. It's often associated with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you a story about Azusa Street. Azusa Street Revival began in the year 1906. 
Azusa Street revival took place in Los Angeles. Some of y'all know some history, but not everybody. It's a guy named William Seymour. He's 34 years old. He was an interim pastor in Houston. And he began to preach a message about a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And with the baptism of the Holy Spirit came tongues or this utterance, glossolalia, some sort of something. And he said, if you were to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you would speak in these tongues. Yet he didn't have that. He was preaching this message. And actually, there was a lady from Los Angeles, an older lady, was visiting family back in Houston. And they just happened to step in on a day where he was serving as interim and teaching this message. And she's like, oh, man, that sounds good. I like the sound of that. Let's invite him to come to L.A. so he can teach us for about a month. We'll put him up. And he can just come teach. So that's what happened. He went to L.A. In February of 1906, it took some time to travel in those days. It was a few months later. He came and preached this message of a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And a week later, the place where he preached, the elders had locked the door. They put a padlock on it. You're not coming up in this house preaching that again. They wouldn't let him preach it. But it's funny because a lot of people had gotten excited about it. Others wanted to hear what he had to say, so they moved it in someone's home. For a period of five weeks, they fasted. They prayed, not fast directly for five weeks. Been a hungry bunch, but they did have periods of fasting and prayer and preaching and worship. And five weeks later, after they had been praying and fasting for a baptism of the Holy Spirit, people started busting out in what they believed to be tongues. I mean, just it was first the guy that hosted the, 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 the uh, little deal at their house. And then it was the guy that Seymour, or the woman, not guy, the woman that Seymour married. And then uh, like a week later, it's Seymour. And it's just busting out all over, all over the place, tongues. And this went on for nine years. Years. Thousands of people came into this. They had to, I don't know. I think they had to get a bigger place. and moved, moved out of the home environment to support the flocks of people coming to see this. And it got far more interesting than this. Here's an account from an early newspaper. They cry and make howling noises all day and into the night. They run, jump, shake all over, shout to the top of their voice, spin around in circles, fall out in the sawdust blanketed floor, jerking, kicking, and rolling all over it. Some of them pass out and do not move for hours as though they were dead. That happens here in sermons sometimes. <laughs> Last part, anyway. These people appear, it's still the, the newspaper article, these people appear to be mad, mentally deranged or under a spell. They claim to be filled with the Spirit. They have a one-eyed, illiterate preacher who's, the paper's pretty mean, man. <laughs> a one-eyed, illiterate preacher who stays on his knees much of the time with his head hidden between the wooden milk crates. He doesn't talk very much, but at times he can be heard shouting, Repent! And he's supposed to be running the thing. I don't know if it was an editorial or an actual just article. And said they repeatedly sing the same song, The Comforter Has Come. This went on for nine years. You may not realize it or not, but this is where the Assemblies of God and Pentecostal denominations came from. 
from the Azusa Street revivals. And what those who began this movement and those who perpetuate this movement, I fear, failed to realize is that the birth of the church was a very unique time. A very unique time. Tongues of fire showing up when the church was born, when the Holy Spirit goes from dwelling with to dwelling in the people of God. The people of God were literally baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit for the very first time in the history of mankind. This was a very, very unique time in the life of the church. It was the birthday of the life of the church. I've had some pretty amazing birthdays, but none of them was quite as dramatic as the, my first one. I mean, my, like when I'm zero. That was a pretty dramatic event. I don't remember it. But I hear tell. What those who began this movement and those who perpetuate this movement, I fear, fail to realize that the birth of the church was a very unique time. Now listen, let me say this. While we can be guilty of not hoping and praying for great and marvelous Pentecost-like events. Remember, we confess. We typically run to the medicine cabinet instead of praying first. While we can be guilty of being scared to death of this and not even begging for anything Pentecost-like, we can also be guilty of not seeing this time as unique. There are some things that happen very differently at different times of our journey or this redemptive story than other times. Consider, for example, that there were times where Christ said, don't go to the Gentiles. Just go to the house of Israel when you go and teach and preach. And then other times where he says, now go to the house of the uh, Gentiles. And go, in fact, to the far corners. We can try and reproduce this time, this Pentecost church birth, like I fear they may have done at Azusa Street, or we can validate our time if it looks like this, or we can disqualify our times if they don't look like this. I used to have conversations about this weekly, and I bet many of you had, have, have had conversations about the charismata with other people, family members, friends, workmates. There is a large contingent of folks that are taken with the charismata, believing it's a work of the Holy Spirit today. It has affected that I know of, I just that I know of, three families in this body within the last couple of months. Three families, just that I know of, impacted what they're doing directly. This is a current issue. I mean, let me tell you something. When the Holy Spirit showed up, we just called them out. We just called out the details. It was pretty amazing. Mighty rushing wind, amazing wonders, tongues of fire, Peter preaching, and thousands from all over the Roman Empire are hearing the preached message in their language. This was such a dramatic time that it reverberated into the early church. There were likely people at Pentecost they were given some sort of sign gift that showed up in the early church. So my question is, is this the modus operandi of the Holy Spirit? Something we've got to ask. We've got to wonder. I bet it's something that you've wondered. If the Spirit is in the house this morning, will my preaching be understood by many non-English speakers? 
Will we bust out in tongues and have dramatic falling out in the aisles? Will we make howling noises and run and jump and shake all over and shout to the top of our voice and spin around in circles if the Holy Spirit is truly in the house? I want to offer this to you. If the markers for the Holy Spirit are the charismata and sign gifts, then one of the most Spirit-filled churches in our New Testament Bibles is the Corinthian church. And if you've read the Corinthian letters, you're going, whoa, dude, (laughs) those guys were knuckleheads. It gets the most airtime, the charismata. If the markers for the Holy Spirit are these sign gifts, then one of the most Holy Spirit-filled churches in our New Testament, I believe, fear, if that's true, was the Corinthian church. There is so much misunderstanding when it comes to the Holy Spirit that we need to consider what it means when he's praying to the Father that the Father would send Another paraclete, remember, of the same kind. That's the key to understanding this work of the Holy Spirit right there. Send another paraclete of the same kind. Consider how Jesus ministered to and taught and led his disciples while he was here. And then we can interpret whether something, or try and discern whether something belongs to the Holy Spirit or not. We can look at it and say, okay, if he's a paraclete of the same kind as the first, then he's going to look like the first. Did the first paraclete, that is Christ, ever make a major production or show of his healings? I think it kind of went something like this. Who touched me? Or they went something like this. You want to be healed? Pick up your mat. Walk. Oh, and by the way, don't go tell anybody. Or they went something like this, spitting on the ground, making a little mud pie, putting it on a blind man's eyes. Hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. I mean, I'm looking for the support crew. I'm looking for the choir of 800. I'm looking for the smoke machines. I don't see them. I'm looking for the drama, the stage crew. But all I'm seeing is your faith has healed you. Pick up your mat and walk. What I'm seeing is, go home, your child as well. Does the first paraclete, this is one that's more personal to us. Does the first paraclete, as he preaches, have someone behind him who's picking the guitar? As he's closing in prayer, strumming the guitar. I want to call this out. Is there something wrong with that? No, man. In fact, whenever Brad Carwell prays, he likes to have somebody on an instrumental behind him. There's nothing wrong with music. It is very emotive. David played for Saul to soothe him. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we measure the Holy Spirit by whether somebody's back there picking or not. We don't even realize it. Man, I was so ministered to today. Two guys preach the same sermon. One guy has a light show behind him. And a video, flashing images, and somebody picking a guitar when he closes in prayer. And somebody says, man, a spirit moved today. I'm saying, really? It doesn't look like the first paraclete. He didn't have any of those things. If the second paraclete is going to be a paraclete like the first paraclete, then I'm looking for those things and I'm not seeing them. We cannot measure 
whether the second paraclete is involved in something by those sort of emotive experiences. There's nothing wrong with those. Play away. Put up the thing with flashing images and stuff. Cool. But don't measure the Holy Spirit by that. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He teaches and brings things to remembrance, and he bears witness to Christ. Period. That's what he does. So if he's going to be a second paraclete that's like the first, as the first paraclete taught, the Holy Spirit is teaching us and bringing to remembrance all that he has said. As the first paraclete helped by explaining the Father, the Holy Spirit helps by bearing witness to the Son. The Holy Spirit, man, y'all got to get this. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling God that's in the believer, the deposit and seal that we have, a promise of salvation, of being His, our adoption, is a helper like Christ. That's good news. That's something that's got to open our eyes and give us discernment in this world full of drama. Smoke machines. It can ground us. And here's the good news about Christ. Or here's the good news about the Holy Spirit. They're both good news. But here's the special good news about the Holy Spirit. I've thought before how awesome it would have been to be Adam and to walk in the cool of the day with God. I mean, imagine that. You've named all the critters. There's a platypus. There's a warthog. There's an eel. God, you're awesome. Walking in the cool of the day. Here, let me take some fruit. Oh, not that fruit. This fruit. Enjoying God. What an amazing experience that must have been. To walk, it didn't last long. But to walk in the cool of the day with God. I thought about how cool that would be. Then I thought about how cool it must have been for the disciples to walk with Christ for three years. To watch him move and teach and breathe. Even to watch him die. To touch his side after he was risen. What an amazing experience to be with Christ in Judea and Samaria and Galilee. And what we realize when he says, I've given you, I'm giving you another paraclete like me is that we are walking with God in the cool of the day. If the Holy Spirit indwells us, man, we're walking with Judea, Christ in Judea and Greenville. It's <laughs> a different context, I know. But we're walking with him right now. That's the crazy good news. It's like walking with Christ and being with him all the time. That's the good news about this helper. I told Scott, I actually planned on preaching the three things from this passage just in this one sermon. I realized, you know, we're going to break this up because I want you to find purchase. I want this to find purchase. I want this to invade Tuesday. Because if we dismissed right now, you'd be like, man, that's groovy. Holy Spirit's awesome, boy. And that's good. That's called worship. We're not fact collectors. We're truth enjoyers. So as you're enjoying that truth, that's called worship. That's good. But let's try and escort it into Tuesday what this looks like. A question for you to consider. If the Holy Spirit is our helper, given to us by our Creator, can we get real help anywhere else? 
I'm going to ask that question again. If the Holy Spirit is our helper, given to us by our Creator, is it possible for us to get real help anywhere else? Consider for a moment the places we all go for help. If we have financial problems, we go see a financial advisor at the bank or someplace like that. If we need help with medical issues, we go see a physician or a may go on Medline or something like that online and try and find out some answers. For help with life issues, we might see a counselor or a trusted friend. For help with a headache, we might go to the medicine cabinet. We're daily dealing with needs and looking for help for those needs. Now, I want you to imagine this help situation as a continuum, a continuum of possibilities. On one end is aspirin. On the other end is the cross. Okay. We're going to acknowledge that help is that aspirin is help. When you have a headache, it's helpful, right? Just think about what's on this easy end, on this far end that seems insignificant, but when you have a headache, it's not. Man, thank you for that aspirin. Thank you for that bird singing today that just encouraged me and blessed me. Thank you for that green light. You don't know how bad I needed that. Thank you, God. That is good. On one end, we've got aspirin, a bird song. And a green light. On the other end, we've got wise counsel that salvages a marriage. We've got parenting insight that helps with the difficult task of raising kids in the faith. That's on this far end, right? And ultimately, at the very tip, tip end, we've got forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Christ. That's help. Somewhere in the middle might be a paycheck or a car that runs or knees that still cooperate. Helpful, right? We can't put them down here at this end, though. And they're certainly more important than aspirin and a bird song and a green light. Maybe to the right of center might be, and your left, might be a medication that helps with depression. That's good help, right? Man, if you got it, you're thankful for it. Now, I want you to take this line and break it in two pieces. Or at least just draw a dotted line over a section of it. Still envision the continuum of help, but recognize that at some point on that line that things separate from being temporal help to eternal help. Down on this end, way, I mean, even from this point on, a big part of stuff we put down this end is really just temporal help, all the way down to aspirin and a green light. But down on the far end is eternal help. Know that at some point on this line, the help that we get in daily matters from headaches to bills to knees that work is only temporary. And then eternal help picks up. Help shepherding the hearts of our children and youth. Help with sin. Help in the high court of heaven with our guilt before God and our advocate mediating for us. That's good help and that's an eternal outcome. Now, here's the reality. Everything on that line, both the temporal stuff and the eternal stuff, both segments, is helpful. But what's helpful in the temporal is not and must not be equated with what's helpful in the eternal. Do not equate a paycheck with a mediator and an advocate in the high court of heaven. Please. Do not equate medicine that helps with your depression with a mediator and an advocate and a paraclete in the high court of heaven. Please. 
So here's where I'm going with this. If the Holy Spirit is our helper, can we get real help anywhere else? And here's where I'm going with that. I want you to see that all other help apart from the Holy Spirit is temporary. All help apart from the Holy Spirit is temporary. Even if it's useful, it's just temporary. And I'm saying it's useful. A paycheck? I'm thankful I get a paycheck. I'm thankful for aspirin. The only real help, though, is to be found with the only real helper. There's nothing wrong with looking to temporal help. You have depression? Let's pray over you and go see a doctor. Nothing wrong with temporal help, but just know it's not the final and most long-lasting help. This message today, one thing it's doing, it's revealing the helper, but it's also defining what is help. Put a box around it. Help. Let's define it. D-E-F with the parentheses beside it. Help is truly help only in so much as it involves the Holy Spirit, that helper given us by our Creator. So, Spiritless philosophical musings may be entertaining and can even seem to hit the tender spot of your interest or need, but they're band-aids on cancer, if spiritless. The Holy Spirit was given to us, remember, to teach us the truth and to bear witness about Christ. That's help. That impacts that eternal end of that continuum. This has been a six-year transition for me in ministry. This kind of confession and also kind of just let you know where I am as one of the elders. It's been a six-year transition for me in ministry. I wanted to be six years ago, new pastor. I wanted to be at every funeral, every graduation, every hospital visit, every family squabble, every bar mitzvah. I'm there, man. Because that's what pastors do. And all the while I'm watching my family go, please, I'm melting. You know where I was when I ended five years? I was toast. Christy and I were ready to choke each other. All the while I'm thinking, man, i got to be at all these things. But over time, God showed me that the best thing, not the only thing, but the best thing that I can give my wife and my kids and my church body is a Holy Spirit-revealed word, whether taught or preached, week by week by week. Is it helpful for me to show up at your graduation? Man, youth, I wish I could have been there. But you know what? I was preparing this. I care about your graduation, but I care about your heart more. This has been ministry-defining for me. While it's helpful to be at every viewing or every funeral or every graduation or every hospital visit, what's more helpful is to leave a big part of that to my fellow elders and the rest of the church body, my other ministers, to minister in somebody in that situation and to be about this work of unpacking this, bringing to remembrance everything God has said. And bearing witness to Christ week by week by week. Laboring with the Holy Spirit for God's message for this people every week. That's the greater help. That's the closest that I can become as a pastor 
to teaching the truth and bearing witness about Christ. That's the closest that I get to doing what the Holy Spirit does. That's the best I got. I bet some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You've probably seen the flip side of it. The guy that's sort of the amazing chaplain. You have a thorn in your finger. (laughs) And he's at your house. How can I help you, man? Let's pray. But he stands and delivers on Sunday mornings, and it's like a milk toast message with a joke and some email. And you're like, man, I got nothing out of that. But boy, he was there when I was hurting. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not devaluing the chaplain. The chaplain has a ministry. My granddaddy was a chaplain in the army. I have a high view of the chaplain. But that's not what I am. The chaplain can be about making much of you in your need, albeit helpful, and not really stepping into squarely into what the Holy Spirit's supposed to be doing. Bring to remembrance, teaching, and bearing witness to Christ week by week. Some of y'all might see this as an excuse for me not to show up next time you're sick. I hope to be there. But don't be upset if I'm not. Because I may be eating this so that I, you got something to eat on Sunday. Or I may be tending to my wife and kids so they don't die on the altar of ministry. This definition of help has been helpful for me. It's been affirming. Help is truly help only in so much as it involves the Holy Spirit. Let me talk about dads. Our single moms. Our functional shepherds. If dads are gone a lot. This help definition should help you. Because you want to be a help to your, your wife and kids? Then you've got to come into alignment with what the Holy Spirit does. Man, let me tell you something. I see some dads that are just the most amazing dads at doing fun, recreational sort of activities. And let me tell you something. That's helpful. Many of you dads, your dad didn't do anything with you except maybe pop you around your head. He was either abusive or neglected you. And you're thinking, man, I'm not going to do that. We're going to be in scouts. We're going to be in dance. Maybe for the girls. <laughs> We're not going to do that, man. We're going to be in drama. We're going to be in um, every kind of sport there is, man. We're going to do it all. We're going to recreate. We're going to camp. We're going to fish. We're going to hunt. And let me tell you something, dads. You go. That's cool. Realize that is a help, especially compared to the abusive, neglecting father. That is a help. But realize that you can do that and never really be an eternal help to them. Out at this end. Never really engage them the way the Holy Spirit does. Teaching them everything that he has said. Bring to remembrance everything that he said. And bearing witness to Christ. Dads, you can be Frankie's Fun Park dad. And leave the Holy Spirit out of it. And you've been no eternal help to your kids. You can spend a lot of time with them. And be no eternal help to them. The help that you're giving them could be very, very, very temporary. If it lacks the Holy Spirit, it will be. And it will not survive the grave. You could end up with a real sporto. He might even go off and play college ball. (laughs) You're thinking, man, I really did my job. And I'm not knocking that. Don't take it to an extreme. 
But if you do that without stepping into alignment with what the Holy Spirit does in the life of that kid, you've been no real help. Because you can have a real sporto who has no use with a great arm who has no use for God. Happens all the time. Shepherds, we are to be about helping our families. Helping them the way the helper helps us. This definition, help is truly help only in so much as it involves the Holy Spirit, informs everything. Dads and single moms, what's the greater help? A paycheck or time with your family in prayer and in the Word? Money is helpful. I told you, it's on that line. Money is helpful. But shepherding is more involved with the Holy Spirit, so it will be more helpful. It will be out on this end of the line. This message, man, I hope it done, it's done two things. I hope it's revealed the Holy Spirit of who He is and some of what He does. But I hope it's also helped us define what is help. If I want to help a friend in need, if I want to help my wife, if I want to help my kids, I hope it's given some shape to that. Help is only help in so much as it involves the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Lord, I pray right now that uh, what I've said and how I've said it has not been demeaning or belittling. I fear my tone and my somewhat sarcastic um, tone of voice. And I ask your forgiveness if I came across that way in speaking about Brothers in search of the signs or perceived evidence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I choose instead rather to um, make fun of people or belittle people, to speak the truth into this people, and to pray for all believers that we can be a true people of God that are in step with the Holy Spirit that are doing what the Holy Spirit does, that are teaching what's true about Christ, that are bringing to remembrance what has been taught, and that are bearing witness to Christ. Lord, I pray that we will be excellent about those things. And if you should choose to just lavish us with tongues or whatever, and so be it, Lord. But we're not after that. We're after the Holy Spirit. We're after staying in step and walking in alignment with that paraclete like Christ. We pray for wisdom in considering that, that the Holy Spirit will look like Christ. That the manifestations of the Holy Spirit will be as if Christ was here, were here. Pray that that will give us a wisdom, a loving, gentle wisdom. That we can give an account for the hope within a simple gospel and an amazing God. No frills, no smoke machines, no rolling around on the ground. Just a deep abiding faith for a very true and real God. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for our Jesus. And I thank you too. We thank you for our Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship in song.
think Stephanie uh, kind of hit on something, her comments about uh, kind of how you feel. There's uh, sometimes we can, I think, not sometimes, often we can make a golden calf of the emotion and worship that more than worship the God of... Emotion is a creature. <laughs> it's a created thing. And we can end up worshiping a creature or try and measure the creator by a creature. And you, you'll end up all over the map when you do that. We measure the creator by, really, we have this. You know, so when, when you're wondering, well, did the Spirit show up this morning? Here are the questions to ask. Was the truth proclaimed? Did our words and thoughts and actions bear witness to Christ? Then yes. You can have a very emotive experience that is void of truth. And then you can have another one that may seem very even dull. The Holy Spirit could be all up in it. And don't measure our God by a created thing. I, sometimes I think about the contrast between a coliseum full of worshipers you know, singing, belting out some sort of worship song. It's really awesome, man. You're caught up in something like that. And you're like, man, the Holy Spirit is in the house. And you contrast that with a house church with one dude that can kind of halfway play the guitar. And he's like trying to plink on that thing. Sound like a ukulele. And everybody's singing and it's kind of off key. And ask people that are worshiping in Kazakhstan, is that any less true? Was the Holy Spirit in the house? Was the truth proclaimed? Did we bear witness to Christ? That's the measure of the Holy Spirit's involvement and presence. Man, I just encourage you all to see this thing with the right eyes. Our emotion can be such a weird thing. The most emotive experience I've ever had was reading where the red fern grows. Oh, it wiped me out as a kid. I mean, I was weeping for weeks. But that was completely void of any eternal truth. And I, I don't know how, what relationship that has. I just know that we can get caught up. There's a, there's a connection. <laughs> we can get caught up in these experiences, man. Just like I'm just riding from the next, this experience to the next. Just show me my next wave that I can ride. And that's what I'm on. And man, I fear sometimes that, you know, I don't know what happened at Azusa Street. I'm not saying that God wasn't in that. I have my suspicions, but I wasn't there. And I don't know the hearts of Seymour. I don't know his heart. But I do know people, and I've walked with people and haven't been one for 41 years. I know I like new things and exciting things. And man, let's, let's just catch the new experience. And we don't want to do that when it comes to the truth. Because the truth is timeless. And it's static and it's stable. And our emotions are all over the place. They can be influenced by what we ate last night. Or how, how tired we are. Man, knowing that people will flock to a dollop of ice cream on the sidewalk because it looks like the Virgin Mary tells me we're capable of anything. This has got to be our guide. And we have a Holy Spirit that is a paraclete helper like Christ. If we want to know what he looks like, see what, the Holy Spirit, see what Christ looks like. It's a good guide. We can trust that guide. You want to be a help to friends and family and neighbors and workmates, you'll be a help only in so much as you're doing what the Holy Spirit does. Teaching the truth and bearing witness about Christ. That's eternal help. That's way down on this end. 
One announcement, I, I hope I'm not missing any other, I always miss important announcements, but I hope I can not miss any this morning. Just one that I can think of is uh, Tuesday night at 7, youth parents are invited, especially the shepherd. If you're a single mom of a youth, please uh, join us. Um, especially the shepherds, you know, if you're a dad, you know, don't, don't send mom if you can be there. Um, but if wives would like to come, you're welcome. We're going to meet, I think, probably, we'll probably end up being in here, 7 o'clock Tuesday night. What we're doing, actually, when we meet with the youth families or parents, is we're going to talk through what our youth ministry isn't and what it should be. And we want the Lord to build the house. You know, whatever it is. We want it to be the Lord's design, not man's design, because that'll fail. But if the Lord builds a house, we can trust it. Uh, we have kind of recognized through the last couple of weeks that about eight months ago, we kind of were running from a Frankie's Fun Park sort of ministry. I'm on Frankie's Fun Park. I, Frank, Frankie's Fun Park dad. And the, uh, but a ministry that's just real, let's see how much milk we can shoot out of our nose sort of thing, you know, and calling that a, a youth ministry. Trying to run from that, that we went to the other extreme to where it, it, it's basically only shepherd-led. And we've come under conviction that, you know, our youth are in a unique stage of life where they're not only shepherded, but they're beginning to make some decisions on their own, and they should be engaged directly by their church. Uh, not exclusively, but coming alongside the shepherd. So, um, I just put a bug out, put it in your ear. Uh, if you are burdened about it, where, where should I be serving? How should I be serving? Maybe it's alongside, walking alongside some youth families. And I'll put a bug in the youth family's ear Tuesday night that maybe they should be serving with some single moms. You know, you've seen that picture of hell where, or have you probably heard that description of hell where everybody's got forks that are too long to feed themselves and are just trying to get it in their mouth. And then heaven is, is, looks a lot the same except they're feeding each other. You know, you ever seen that image or heard, heard of that story, that kind of illustration? We can do that in the church. And ideally, we're feeding each other and we're coming alongside each other. Chances are the goods that the youth ministry needs is in the body and in families coming alongside them. And if you're feeling like, man, I got nothing to offer, you may not realize it. You, you may have far more to offer than you realize. And you'll be ministered to and fed in a way that you hadn't been fed yet as you consider others as more important than yourselves. Y'all stand and I'll dismiss you. Thanks for being here this morning. Let me pray. Oh, I'm sorry. Y'all have a seat. I'm sorry. Musical chairs. Sorry. I'm, see, I knew I was forgetting something. Okay. You can dismiss everybody. We'll do that. Y'all hear me okay? We have a, um, a privilege and an opportunity this morning. We're recognizing a couple of uh, graduates. Um, in fact, I'd like for if they're in here. Ford Thorman and Chris Waterman, if you guys would stand up. The reason I want you to stand up is I want everybody to take a look at you. Yes. We can commend these guys for a lot of hard, hard work goes in to finishing school. So this is a morning we can commend them for a lot of hard work. Uh, I feel more importantly this morning, uh, we need to recognize this as um, for what it is. Uh, it's a stage in life, and they're changing, and they're moving and they're going to a different place. And both these guys are going off to school in another city. They're stepping outside of a household they've been in. And for them, I would say to them, you guys have been protected and sheltered in that, even in your walk. 
And there's been a testimony of your family. And now you're stepping outside of that. And it's a point in time in your life, the testimony is yours alone. You're going to be out among some people, away from people that know you. And then that text that Ben was sharing this morning about the Holy Spirit bearing witness to Christ, the next verse is what? And you will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. If you're in Christ, guys, you're going to bear witness to his name. I say that to you as a warning, too. Be ready. Be ready to bear his name. Be ready for the things that come against you. Guys, I've got children who have just been through this. This is, this is a very difficult place to go into. The world they're going to step into is ungodly in a lot of ways. It's going to tear at them. It's going to challenge them every day. Guys, I struggle just going to work every day. Not near what I think they're going to see and may hear of. So the reason I want them to stand up, not just for you to recognize them and commend them, but for you to pray for them. This guy's in our prayer. Because our hope is what? Our hope is our helper. We need mercy. We need grace from God. We can try every method, every technique, everything we can do. And we want to train them. We want to challenge them. And we want to encourage them and exhort them. We need to continue to exhort them. Guys, mom and dad are still there. They're still mother and father. Still to be honored. Don't forget that. They're a resource you've God's given you. You have a church body here. Any point in time, call on them. Guys, we exhort them daily. It means speak truth into their life. That's the word of God. So guys, we commend you for the work you've done. We're praying for you as you go. Got a couple of gifts. I'm going to have you guys come up. I want you guys to come speak it to them. I was convicted, and I had a hard time singing some of these songs this morning. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to speak an untruth. It's hard to say I'm going to lay down my life. I'm not willing to. You guys come up here and say you're going to pray for them. Why don't you pray for them? Okay. Let's pray as a body now. Why don't everybody stand? Let's just join them and pray. Father, this morning, we want your name to be hallowed among this people. Father, we want hearts that praise you. We want hearts that are willing to lay down our life. We want hearts and lives that are a living sacrifice to you, that bear witness to your name, the name. Father, pray for this body. I pray, Father, that we would not quench your spirit as it brings things to remembrance, your word. Uh, Father, we'd be faithful. And in obedience, put your name on display. Father, that you would be glorified. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for providing for us every day. Thank you for this day when you provide us with your word and your spirit to give us understanding. And Father, we thank, we're thankful for the hope that gives us in you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.